Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. It's Christmas season, and, and, and you know, we have had a challenging set of series through the Christmas season, and so I appreciate you guys being back and, and being a part of what's gone on here. Uh, and, and now we are standing here at the threshold of 2013, and to me that seems crazy. 2013, I mean, really, we were talking about it this morning, several of us, we're not even supposed to be here anymore. You know, it's supposed to be over. I gave up on trying to hold back for the holidays because I thought it won't matter if my cholesterol is higher, I gain a few pounds because I'm going to heaven, it's done. Surprise, surprise, Jesus didn't come back. The Mayans were wrong, they let us down, and here we are. And we've been called to a certain lifestyle as we continue to wait. And so as we start this year out, and, and, and as I have done every year, I want to set a tone this morning for what I hope this year will be for us. In fact, as I've prayed through this and thought about it, I, I really think that this will set a, not just a tone, but give us a new perspective as we continue to move forward as a, as a church and as ministers of the gospel in our community. And so this morning, I just want us to consider kind of where we've been at and what we've experienced. I mean, think back, for those of you that were here as a part of this church last year, uh, as we celebrated New Year's. I mean, think of the differences. And maybe the most drastic difference was, do you remember where we met at? Yeah, it, wasn't, it, was, it was at the Executive Conference Center because our normal mobile location wasn't available to us. It was, we, there was no room in the inn for us. We were sent to find another place, and so thankfully we were able to use uh, the Executive Conference Center. This morning... As a, because of what God has done through this year, we have been blessed with this building. And I, I, when I say blessed, I don't mean just, hey, I hope it goes good for you. It, it, it literally was given to us as a gift, I, I believe, completely, totally. We busted every statistic that comes to, uh, that, that can be applied in uh, fundraising. As we've raised funds for this building, we, um, we actually doubled or we raised more money in 45 days than we typically give in a year and a half. How's that? Uh, that's how much money was raised for this. That's how much God provided that we could have this place. There were little obstacles along the way that kept coming up that, that would seem like, well, maybe we need to stop. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe God's shutting the door and we just need to be prepared for that, which we were. Which, I mean, we would have. But every one of those obstacles was bowled over. I mean, it wasn't just... It wasn't just a simple thing, but every one of the obstacles was bowled over. The, the community at large, the, the church members that were given the survey, 100% of you. I'm saying we can't get people to agree on a lot of stuff. And when you start asking 30 to 50 people an opinion on something, to see us all agree on something, to, to see that kind of unity, that's no coincidence. That's the working of the Holy Spirit bringing people together. And that's the reality of it. We, we have this building, we have this place now to call home as a, as a tool to use for ministry because God's given it to us. But the year didn't start with a building. I mean, that probably is one of the biggest differences that's most readily apparent. The year didn't start with a building. The year started really with, with a, a challenge in my life to begin to look at leading this church to do international mission work. So I took a trip to Guatemala, and then I took a trip to Africa. And that trip to Africa opened the door for two more trips to Africa. And the fruit we've seen from that has been amazing. That first trip when I was there, we saw three men profess their faith in Christ. 
I got to sit with an imam who, before I was there, before, and, and here, not, don't, don't hear me claiming this as my own victory or patting myself on the back, but before we showed up and shared the story with him of Christ and challenged his perspective on the crucifixion, he believed that it was Judas hanging on the cross, that Jesus didn't really die, that God wouldn't do that to one of his prophets. And before we left, he confessed to me, you have convinced me that Jesus died on the cross, that it was Jesus there bodily hanging and dying. That's huge for him. An imam, a teacher of his people, that's God's work. And Jesus didn't stop with that trip. The reality is that we've seen two trips go back. Two trips of our people as we partnered with South Haven Baptist Church, which in and of itself is a huge miracle that we see churches beginning to gather and do a kingdom work as opposed to this is our mission, we're going to do our own thing and forget everybody else. God has been at work this year. And that we get to be a part of it is amazing. Not only did we see those two trips go back, but... In that second trip, one of, the, one of the fruits of the labor that's been seen, we didn't see new professions of faith. We saw believers who were there sharing their faith and telling others about it. But all of the fruit of the work that God has been doing, as that team showed up in that village, they began to have people come to them and ask them, teach us these stories we want to hear about Jesus. That's not happened any other trip. But all the fruit, all the work that God's been doing is beginning to bear fruit. And people are beginning to hear and their eyes are being opened to see the light and, and their ears are being in, enabled to hear the truth. God is at work. And the reality is, is it's not just what we've seen happen overseas. I mean, we've seen some great things happen in our church. We've got to see individuals become couples celebrating marriage and honoring God as, as they have been made one in his sight. We've seen new couples or, or young couples having babies and being blessed with being becoming parents. That's God's work. He's the one doing that. And not only have families been started and families been growing, but our family has been growing. We've been, been, been connecting and seeing how God is using us to, to call a people to, to his mission and the mission he's given us here in Springfield. There's a lot of the people in this room right now that weren't here at the beginning of the year and are members of this church because of what God's been doing and how he's brought them to this place this year. But the reality is that all of this blessing all, all of the ways that God's working and, and providing these opportunities for us to serve him. It sounds really great when we talk about it. I mean, it sounds simple and it just happened, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it's easy to forget what it took to see all of those funds raised. But you just ask the parents that have received the blessings of children, and they'll let you know that sometimes those blessings come at a high cost. A lot of work. Our newest baby after, came after 26 hours of labor. That's a lot of work. Thank God you didn't have to do that, right, Steve? <laughs> I mean, that's big. We, we, got to see, we got to see a couple adopt a, a, a child out of Ethiopia after 
months and months and months. They didn't have physical labor, but they had all kinds of legal labor. That was not easy, was it? And as big a blessing as Judah is, he's a handful too, right? There, it comes at a cost. It requires work. It requires effort. Hey, just consider the building we've been gifted with. We bought it in a drought, and two weeks after closing, it stormed. And the concrete <laughs> around the edge, we found out it leaks bad, and we get to fix it. And so that's actually something that's been happening over the last week and a half. Some of these things, they, they, these blessings, they come with a cost. It's not, that God, it's not that God wants us to suffer. or Well, I think it is that God wants us to suffer because he uses it in our sanctification. But it's not that he wants to just hurt us. He loves us and he wants us to endure. The reality is, is this, and this is what we're really going to focus on today and, and all the way throughout the rest of the year. Christianity is a free gift from God. But it's so much more than a, life, a call to a life of handouts. He gave you righteousness. He looks at you and says, you are accepted, you are loved, you are approved, you are my child. He's called you a new name. And he did that free of charge. He did that by doing the work himself. He made that available to you at no charge. But now, this life is not a life of handouts. He calls us to follow, to persevere, to endure. And the reality is, is he calls us to a life that counts. And really, you can see this in a number of Jesus' teachings, but I think you can see it most clearly maybe through Luke's gospel. And I think you'll see it today as we study from his, from his words. We're going to start in Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses should be on the, the screen behind me. If you have a smart device... And if you don't know what that is, then you don't have one. But if you have a smart device, you can go to Uversion. It's a, it's a Bible app, and there's a Uversion live event for our church, and you can follow along there. The notes are there and everything. So if you want to do that, it's available to you as well. But God calls us to a life that counts. Luke 9, we're going to start in 57. We'll read through verse 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm just going to say right now, that's not something you want to go committing yourself to, to God. It's not shown to prove itself out in very many people's lives. But this guy makes this huge commitment. It should be more of a prayer. God, enable me to follow you wherever you go or wherever you lead. But this guy comes and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says... Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you guys ever, you recognize that sometimes Jesus doesn't respond the way you might expect him to. I mean, Jesus, his, his mom shows up to him at a wedding and says, hey, Jesus, we need wine. And rather than just do it, he says, woman, what does that have to do with me? And then when he decides to go ahead and, and fix the problem, he doesn't tell them, go to the store and get wine. He says, go fill water jugs. This guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. You know, if somebody came up to me, I think my ego would take over and be like, thanks, man. I'm glad you recognized how great I am. I think that'd be what my response would be. But, but Jesus knew better. Jesus knew more. And so he challenges him. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, this is Jesus approaching someone, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but, the, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his plow, hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know what any of these people might have expected to hear from Jesus. But what he laid out for them was a call to a serious discipleship. Discipleship in its widest terms is simply a student, someone who learns from someone else. So if you have never heard me taught, te- I'm sorry, if you've never heard me teach, let's get it right. If you've never heard me teach, you'll, you, you'll not get that, but the people that listen to me all the time recognize that's what I do. Screw, screw up the, the English language. In fact, I'm making one of my own. But the reality is, is that you get to be my disciple in this moment because I'm teaching you something even if you've decided you'll never come back. But the true discipleship that Jesus is challenging these people to, the, the more narrower idea of discipleship that Jesus is challenging these people to is, is, is a following, a, a sacrifice of themselves for the will of the discipler, a, 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 willing to give, a willingness to give up themselves and their own ideals and their own desires to follow after, not just, not just walk behind him, but act like him, to go where he goes, to do what he does. That's what he's calling them to. And so many people, when they come to these passages, so many people, almost everybody I read from, really strive to understand what Jesus is saying to the people. But I'm going to ask you before we even get to that, to consider what these things tell us about Jesus. The reality is, is that he's calling us to something. He's calling, he's calling these people to follow him, to, to do what he does, to, to live as he lives. And so if that's what he's doing, then first, these verses don't speak to the people, but they tell us something about who he was and what he did. So what do these verses say about Jesus? It, it, it says first, I think, that he's not giving his effort to building an earthly kingdom. Jesus doesn't want all of us to be homeless. But Jesus was ready to say, I don't even have a place to stay. I don't, I don't have a, a, a place to lay my head to, to go to bed at night. And it doesn't mean that Jesus always slept outside or ate from trash cans. That's not the intent of what he's saying. But the things in this world meant nothing to him. His perspective was much higher than what he could accumulate in this world. He wasn't about going around and and building a kingdom for himself here. It wasn't bound to to, to the confines of this world. His perspective was higher. I think second, we can see in, in his second response, we can see that he prioritizes his life around God's will. You know, in Jewish culture, when, when this guy, when, when Jesus comes to this guy and says, follow me, that was a normal thing for a rabbi or a teacher to do to a, to, with a student. Rabbis would go and they would pick, handpick students that would come in and learn under them. And it was typically people of up. That, that were wealthy or the upper caste kind of people, you know, that the rabbis would select these people to come in and learn under them. Well, this guy really didn't make too big of a, I mean, it's not too big of a problem to go and bury your parents, right? I mean, that's kind of a noble thing. You know, I, I really want to go and, and, and bury my dad, whether he's about to die or has died. We, we don't really know. The grammar doesn't tell us. There's a lot of discussion around that. It doesn't matter. It really seems like a noble thing, right? In fact, in Jewish culture, it was the noblest thing. 
In fact, this was such a high priority, something that was, was seen as such a big thing in Jewish culture that rabbis would allow people to put their, their study of the law and their, and their observance of religious services on hold so that they could go bury their parents. Jesus says, hey, I don't stand on tradition. And, and my priority is not your priority. My priority is molded to my Father's priority. Jesus lived for God's will. He lived to do what God sent him to do, not measure up to everyone else's expectations. Let's just take a minute. Just let me ask you. I'll get you to think about this. Do you know God's will for your life? I mean, we could talk about this for a long time. I mean, we could, we could really dig on it, but we have just a few minutes. I just want you to think about this. Do you know God's will for your life? Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they hear that question, they think, well, am I doing the right job? Am I headed the right direction? Am I, am I living in the right place? And am I supposed to get up and move? You know, and, and we think very specifically. We think, we think in terms of, of the very details of our life. Am I eating the right breakfast in the morning? Is it God's will that I eat Cheerios or, I don't know, checks? I, I, I think sometimes we get so caught up in these details that we miss that God clearly and plainly told us what his will is for his people. And truly for all people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So that means whether you eat Cheerios or checks, whether you work a job that pays salary or hourly, whether you live in Springfield or, or um, Timbuktu, that the reality is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And if you don't get that right, it doesn't matter where you live because you're not in God's will anyway. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That means whether you're a professional or you have some technical job, whether you're a trash man or the CEO of a company, love your neighbor as yourself. Forget the details. Get that right first. Because if you get the details right and still don't love your neighbor, you're not in God's will. Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Be disciples that make disciples. If we're not getting that right, it doesn't matter what else we're getting right. We're not in God's will. Those are three major areas of our life that we tend to ignore. That's God's will for you. Love him, love others, and tell others about him. Be a witness to his glory. And the reality is, I think if we can get those things right, if we can mold our lives to his priorities and his perspective, I, I think the details, I think they begin to fall into place at least a whole lot easier. With a, those decisions, they don't seem to loom as big. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor and be a disciple that makes disciples. That's God's will for you. That's the priority of life. And Jesus saw his priority of life, and he, he, he gave himself to it. He gave himself to his Father's will. And I think in the third, uh, the, the third statement where he's talking to the man and says, if a man puts his hand to the plow and continues to look back, He's not fit for the kingdom. The reality is none of us are really fit for the kingdom. None of us really earn or, or belong in the kingdom. We've been made righteous by Christ. We've 
been put in this place by Christ. We've earned our position by Christ. I, I, we, we, haven't, we haven't earned it in our works. We've, we've, it, we've been given it in Christ. None of us are fit for it. We don't belong. We don't deserve it. But the reality is, is that when Jesus saw this, when Jesus looked at his life, he saw his Father's will, and he was not double-minded about it. He was committed to the mission of God, to see a people reconciled, to see a people redeemed, and to see the earth made new and his people restored. Jesus looks forward to the day in which his bride will be brought to him. And he'll come and get us and take us to be with him. What a beautiful day that's going to be. But Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus is committed to this mission. And he says his disciples are to be committed to this mission. That's big, Seth. Thank God that he sent Jesus and that Jesus lived in this way and did these things. Thank God for Jesus. It's Jesus' life. It counted. And the reality is he wants your life to count too. And he tells you these things. He, he challenged these people not because he just wanted to give them some difficult thing to understand. But because he wanted their life to count. He wanted their life to matter. His, his life counted. It had an eternal significance because he was for these things. He, he, he gave himself not to the accumulation of worldly wealth but to the commitment of God's mission. His life mattered. It has eternal significance because of who he was and because of what he did. He wants your life to have that same eternal significance. He wants your life to matter. He wants your life to count, to be one that makes a difference in the world because of who you are as a child of God. And because of what you do as a child of God, he wants your life to matter. And so this year, this year, I'm going to challenge our church. This is something you're going to hear over and over and over. I'm probably going to get banners and put it up and, and, and make sure that you're seeing it regularly. Our life is meant to count. We are called to live lives that count. But a life that counts is a life that counts the costs. A, a life that counts eternally counts the cost now. Listen, it, it, and we're going to move on to another passage in which Luke challenged us with Jesus' words in, in, a, in a very similar fashion. In Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's huge. The people, the relationships that are so close that mean so much. You gotta hate them. Even your own life. I don't care if you don't get along with your parents, you probably like yourself. If you don't get along with your brothers and sisters, you probably have a desire to see yourself succeed. Even your own life. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring a, to, to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, 
saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And Jesus isn't giving people a way out. He's not saying to you, oh, you don't think you're going to make it, so don't try. That's not, that's not his intent here. He's saying people think about what they're doing. When it matters, when it means something, when there's a priority to it, people consider it and they think about it. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple a life that counts eternally is a life that counts the cost now that considers what this means. Too long, in, in our, especially in this religious and Christian culture, for far too long, we have made Christianity so easy that people become apathetic in it. That it doesn't matter. And the reality is, one of the things that I was confronted as your pastor this year was that I had allowed a level of apathy to build in our church. And that's wrong. And while I am sorry for that, I, I, I repent of that, I've, I've talked to our leaders about it, I've confessed it, I've repented of it, I'm calling people to the, the walk that Christ has called us to, I'm saying before you now publicly, we have got to count the cost. We have got to do this and we have got to begin to move forward. We want lives that count. I, I, I know you do. I've heard too many of you talk. You became a part of this church because you believed in what, what we talked about God doing. But we are not a people called to receive handouts. We are a, call, a people called to a mission to God's will. To let go of the things of the world. To not build a kingdom here. Jesus, he doesn't want us going in blind. He wants us to know the reality of this life we've been called to. Man, surely you've heard it. Surely you've heard people say, oh, if you'll just believe in Jesus, your life will be great. All your problems will be solved. All the answers will be given. Let me ask you believers, is that the case? You feel like life is easier today? You feel like the struggles are gone? If you just believe enough, your bank accounts will be full. Man, don't be, don't, don't be deluded. Don't, don't be fooled by that lie. The reason Jesus taught this way is because the call to Christianity is a call to recognize that there is also great cost. And, and rec, uh, uh, you, you need to know this. He's not calling you to hate anyone. The reality is, and, and I've struggled with this passage for a long time, but over, over the last several weeks, and really this week, I sat down and was really digging on this. The reality of this verse, when it says that to hate your, brother, your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, the reality is, is that this, this is a, a, a um, I struggle with this term this morning. I told you I'm going to make up my own language so that I don't have to do this. <clears throat> a figure of speech. <laughs> it's ironic. It's a figure of speech. And you can look in the Old Testament and you can see places where, where God called people to hate or people were saying that they hated. Like with Jacob, when, when, when he hated, uh, when, when it, or not Jacob, when, when Leah was hated, it really is, is that she was loved less. There's a figure of speech and you can see it and you can follow it all the way through the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, that Jesus is saying, don't hate them figuratively or, or literally, but love them less. No one, there's not a person in your life 
your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, not even yourself. There's no one in your life relationally that belongs in this place of highest devotion. No one. You should love them all less. Jesus doesn't mean when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, it doesn't mean that we all have to go and be crucified. If you're going to be my disciple, find a way to get crucified. That would leave us out. There's not a lot of crucifixions going on today. I mean, we would have to start putting crosses up and hanging one another on them because nobody else is doing it because we're too human. We're too humane. We're too too caring and compassionate to, to really do anything horrible like that. The reality is is that he's calling us to a life of self-sacrifice, self-denial, a willingness to let go of our own desires. And, 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 And I think that there's this big allusion to his going to the cross. Pick up your cross, a a voluntary willingness to, to go and suffer for the good of others so that others can be blessed. That's huge. And that means we've got to let go of these closest and most intense relationships that we might be able to suffer. I told you at first I didn't think that God had called us to suffer, but I, but I really think he has. In fact, Paul, I, I, I learned this lesson last year when I was with uh, my, my two sons. We were going through the book of Philippians. We were studying through it, and as most of the church was, we were, we were studying it together at home. And we came to the passage of chapter 1, verse 29, where Paul says, it's not only been granted to you that you should believe in him, but that you should also suffer for his sake. You know what that means? It's a gift that you get to believe, and it's a gift that you get to suffer. Merry Christmas. That's one we all want, isn't it? Give me the hard times. Give me the suffering. Give me the life that's difficult to deal with. Thank you, Jesus. That's what it means. It's a gift. Believe it. Accept it. Walk in it. That's what he's calling us to. That's the life that the disciple, the follower of Christ is called to. And he wants us to understand that we have to commit to this way of life. This life, this this life that counts this life that, that matters, it affects us relationally, circumstantially, financially, every other alley word that's personally affecting you. It affects you. It, it, it affects and undermines or undergirds every area of your life. There's not one that can go untouched. If there's one going untouched that you've compartmentalized off by itself, you're wrong. It doesn't belong. And it sounds rough, I know. Sounds like, oh man, there's, <laughs> all right, let's go on. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. It's too much. Can't take it. It's too, too big. And you know, the reality is a lot of people did that. When they heard Jesus teach this way, he lost followers. In fact, if some of you don't come back next week, I'll understand. But the reality is, is that, that, that that's only part of it. There, that there's more, and you need to hear the more. And Luke, teaching and giving us words from Jesus again. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, he says, and he said to all, and this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what we've been talking about. This isn't a pursuit on Sunday. It's every day. 
taking up that cross, recognizing that you may suffer for the name of Christ, and that's a good thing. It's a gift. Enjoy it. And he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I, I think it's really obvious, especially based on the perspective we've had to this point, there's a very stark warning there. I mean, it's, it's out there. Be warned. But in the midst of the warning, I mean, you've been hearing it, so we're going we're gonna to kind of pull back from that warning a little bit. I want you to take time to hear the, the amazing and beautiful promise. In this life that we've been called to, this life to, that counts, that we've been called to, that, that has to count the cost, this life, it, in it there is much to gain. Whenever we lose this life, we gain life. You and I will never, never be disappointed. You and I will never be let down. You and I will never experience a time in which God is not fulfilling His promises to us. You and I will never be in a moment where God has said, I messed up. I failed them. I didn't come through for them. You and I will never be in a place where we will not recognize, be able to recognize if we take time to look that God is still sovereign. He still sits on His throne and He still cares about His people. As we are called to suffer, we have the great promise that there is something even greater than this world has to offer. And as we lose it here, we gain it there. I think that's worth it. You see, here's the reality. Is that the reason we struggle, the reason it's so difficult sometimes is because we care so much about things here. Some of the, the toughest situations, some of the toughest situations you're going to face are not the ones you endure because of others, but because you're hanging on to something too tightly here. Because you're not willing to give something up here. Something has too high a place for you here well, we have been called to let it all go to follow Christ to live a life that counts and only Jesus deserves that devotion in him I told you we're not giving an excuse he's not giving us an excuse in counting the cost he's not giving us an excuse not to do what he's called us to in him we have all we need to finish what we start He's given us all to us. He has not held anything back from us. His word tells us that we have all we need for godliness in life. And he wants us to live a life that counts. And the life that counts eternally counts the cost now and commits to the mission. And this is what he calls you to. He calls you to set aside yourselves and love others as he loved you. That means picking up your cross. That means being willing to die if necessary. Not everybody in this room is called to be a martyr. Maybe no one in this room is called to be a martyr. But not only does your physical life not matter as much, 
but your daily life doesn't matter as much as seeing God's will be done. He calls us to set aside ourselves and serve others as he served us. Jesus took on the role of a servant. He humbled himself and he took on the form of a man. He stooped and he washed feet as if he was the lowest of the low servants. And then he turned around and he said, as I've done, now you do also. He calls us to set aside ourselves and forgive as we've been forgiven. That means every wrong that is done to you. You don't just, I mean, it's, it's, forgiveness is never cheap. It's not like it just, oh, forget about it. But how have you been forgiven and how does he continue to forgive Every wrong, as far as the east is from the west. You, you know the, the, the significance of that? You can't ever get to the west from the east. Even when you think you got there, there's still more to go to get west. And to go further to get west. And to go further to get west. We can go north and get south and start going north again. You'll never change direction going the other way. As far as the east is from the west, he called you righteous, not because you made up enough for the wrongs you've done, but because Christ has given you forgiveness. He's made forgiveness available, and he calls you to forgive as others forgive. Let me just take this moment as we kind of close up and, and wrap up. I know that there's a lot of people in this room that are visiting with us that aren't members of the church, and and that's how I'd apply this specifically to your life. You have been called to this. A life that counts eternally. Counting the cost and committing to the mission. That means that you decide that you're not going to be double-minded about it. That you're going to give yourself to God's will. That you're no longer going to strive to build an earthly kingdom. That's our call. But for those of you that are believers, or, or that are members of this church, I'm sorry, that are members of this church, let me just help you see where I think God has us going this year. Probably the first thing you'll recognize is men, and early in the year, if you're a member of the church, if you've covenanted with us and you're, you've committed to walk with us, we're going to have a meeting. And the level of apathy that has been allowed to, to rest on us is, is going to be dealt with. Starting with me, you need to know this starts with me. I recognize as the leader, it falls to me. But we're going to have a, have a meeting, and I'm going to expect you to show up. I'm going to expect you to be there, and we're going to challenge one another to lead in this. And there's not a man in this room that that leadership doesn't fall on. You may not be an elder. You, you may not be a, a community group leader. But the reality is, is that a life that matters is going to be a life that's lived this way. And men, we're going to lead that charge. So we're going to get together one day, probably in February. Be looking for the date. It'll come out pretty quickly. We're going we're gonna to challenge one another in that. Uh, in our community groups, you've already felt it, you've already seen it, you've heard people talking about it. Our community groups, every one of them, are going to be adopting missions. If you're in a community group, we're going to encourage you to be a part of that mission. And if community groups can't get together and, and get on mission and begin serving the city as they strive to live together and do life together, we're probably not going to keep that community group around. Because it's our call to give up our life to go and serve, to go and tell, to make disciples. 
That's, I think, where we need to head. Another place you're going to see it, we're planning potentially three trips to Africa. That's going to be big. The money that's going to be required for that, the amount of, uh, amount of personal, um, personal uh, sacrifice for the people that decide to go, it's going to be big. But it's going to cost the church something as well, and we need you to get behind that. The reality is, is this. We're not doing this simply because, oh, Seth had a good idea and he wanted to preach a sermon. I think you can see the, the verses clearly demonstrate that this is the life we're called to live. If you're a member of our church, that's where we're headed this year, to live lives that count, starting individually, but coming together communally. A life that counts is a life that matters, and that's going to make an eternal difference in someone else's life, that they can then turn and live a life that counts. I think that's worth it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious to us. You have blessed our, our lives by calling us righteous, by calling us children. You have given us more than we deserve. We also recognize, Lord, that you have, you have um, called us to a life that may not always feel easy, but is always in our best interest. So God, I'm just going to ask that as we consider these thoughts and as we deal with these words, Father, I'm going I'm to ask, just as I've asked before, just take me out of the equation because I am a failure in this at times. But that you would just let your scripture rest on our hearts. That we would hear the call to discipleship, that we would hear the cost of discipleship, that we would feel the weight of it and recognize that the, the hope we have and the reason we know we can fulfill it is because we have been given everything in Christ. God, would you give us that strength that we can stand up and, and even as we see the cost that we can just commit to the mission and do the work you've called us to. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't walk alone, that you have empowered us by your spirit. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your, for your presence and your filling in our lives every day. That while we pick up our cross, that you anoint our efforts and that you use us in, in our environments, in our circumstances, our jobs, our every moment, every step of the way, that as we go, that you would enable us and strengthen us to make disciples. We love you and we thank you. And it's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.